Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special episode of the Standing Room Spartans podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Parker, and today we have a special guest, uh, Devin from the U.S. of NCAA. Make sure you go ahead and follow him on Twitter, at the U.S. of NCAA. Fantastic uh, Twitter account, does a lot of funny stuff on there. Uh, we talked about a lot of great stuff, uh, Michigan State and, and our place in the national landscape of college football, you know, over the last few years since our college football birth in 2015, kind of wrapped up D'Antonio's era, uh, coaching at Michigan State, talked about some great moments while he's been in town, <clears throat> talked about the Big Ten, uh, the landscape of the Big Ten, um, uh, where Michigan State's place is in that, you know, if anybody has a chance catching Ohio State over the next few years, um, you know, and talked about a lot of funny stuff on there as well. So make sure uh, you go ahead and follow at the U.S. of NCAA. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Of course, we are now on Apple Podcast. Um, that was a big announcement over the weekend. So now, you know, tell your friends, make sure you you get the word out. Make sure you subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, basically wherever you get them, uh, you can find me. So go ahead, tell your friends. But here we go. A very special guest coming up. I hope you enjoy. All right, and we welcome on a special guest here. This is Devin from the U.S. of NCAA. You can find him on Twitter at the U.S. of NCAA. Uh, he's got a blog as well. You can find that. But uh, very special guest here. Excited to have you on. How you doing here, man? Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm doing good, man. I'm glad to be here, ready to talk some of us Michigan State football. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting to get like the national kind of landscape right because of course when you're working with local people and and you kind of get trapped into talking with all Michigan State fans or some local Michigan fans and you know you kind of get that local perspective sometimes so it's nice to kind of branch out get more of a national side of things you know I know you know being from the ACC school out there and um, it just getting a, a perception of Michigan State and the Big Ten from from a national side. So, kind of starting there with Michigan State, we all know what happened. You know, 2013 to 2015, we were on a roll, went to a college football playoff game, 
And then since then, it's obviously taken quite a dip. I mean, from the national perspective of things, like, you know, where where do you see Michigan State in in kind of if you were looking at some tiers or however you want to break that down? But where do you see Michigan State and kind of the national landscape of college football right now? Well, I mean, when I see Michigan State, I see a team that obviously you don't really want to see on your schedule because no matter who they play, no matter if it's a great year or a down year, it's going to be a slobber knocker of a game when you play them. You know, they're going to beat on you. They're going to wear you down. And so, you know, it's a team you really don't want to see. It's all, I see them as a little bit of a, of a chaos team. As like, they're kind of, they can be unpredictable at times, but they, they're going to ruin something. They might ruin it for themselves. They might ruin it for you. But somebody's day is getting ruined when Michigan State comes to play. But one thing I want to say about Michigan State is if you show up on Saturday, whether it's at Spartan Stadium or anywhere else, and the weather is not perfect, you're screwed. You're going to lose. It doesn't matter. It could be raining, hailing, snowing, it could be like an earthquake, a volcano, gale force wind. It doesn't matter. You are screwed if the weather is not perfect when you're playing Michigan State. And yeah, I, I I mean, we've seen me. that time and time again. I mean, obviously, the Ohio State game comes to mind as, you know, Ohio State 2015, they were mm-hmm. – I, they had won, what, 25 games in a row. They had nine first-round picks or something on that team. We came in with a backup quarterback. Um, yeah, you get the monsoon Michigan game that we all remember. And, yeah, the bad, the bad weather tends to treat us pretty well. Yeah, I mean, that was always a D'Antonio special was winning the, winning the bad weather game. I mean, literally, it doesn't matter. Any kind of natural event at all, Michigan State's going to win that game. Also, it's, they're one of those teams where if they put up a prime number – you're also going to lose. Like Michigan State <laughs> scores exactly 19. There's no chance you're winning that game, you know. So try to – we play in Michigan State. You want to avoid the weather and avoid the prime numbers for sure. But as far as, like, you know, tiers, maybe place in the landscape, I mean, obviously the last 10 years or so, Michigan State's been on a really good run. And they seem you – know, as a team, when, when Michigan State is at their best, when they're great, you know, they're a contender on the national level. You're looking at a team that can contend for the college football playoff, can, you know, play in New Year's Six games. But when they're not at their best, you still see a team that's winning you know, between seven and nine games a year. You know, you're not seeing a whole lot of like two and three win seasons for Michigan State. So they're a team that's a you know, consistent bowl team. You know, at, at worst, seems like you know, a mid-tier Big Ten team, but at their best, is a team that competes on the national stage. Yeah, and you know we we had the the season back in 2016 with uh, right, I think it was three wins and and but like you said I mean even you go back we had you know the John L Smith days and before really the success we had under D'Antonio I mean even then when we remember it as a really bad time and a, and a pretty dark time for the program you would get you know five six seven wins sneak out an Alamo Bowl or something like that mm-hmm. from time to time so. You know, it's it's a team where, in general, I think, like you said, the 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 floor isn't that low, but the ceiling, as we've seen, is quite high. But you know, and and something that, as a Michigan State fan, we've been kind of frustrated with, but rightfully so or not, that I don't think we're ever going to. The ceiling is never going to be at a really a national title when you look at. Alabama, Clemson, and those teams. It's just a different level of college football. And um, I think really when you look at the Big Ten, anybody but Ohio State has probably fallen into that same picture where, you know, the ceiling might be a college football playoff berth, but once you go up against one of those Georgia, Alabama-type schools, then, you know, it all comes crumbling down. So, I mean, with, with college football now – they're talking about uh, allowing players to 
uh, earn money on their own likeness. Some people have been worried about, you know, is this going to cause some more imbalance in college football? And for me, I mean, you already have a situation where it's five or six schools that are really in line to win a national title on any given year. I mean, do you see this changing that at all? Or, or do you see any other teams kind of breaking into that, that really upper echelon of the, of the sport? I mean, I would agree that the changing of the image and likeness rules doesn't really change the landscape as far as who's elite and who's not. The only thing it really changes for me is how the cheating is done because things that were considered cheating before become legal. So now we've got to find new ways to cheat to get people to come here to schools, which that's the only thing that really changes for me. It just changes how, how the schools cheat. We all know everybody cheats. So I'm not saying, you know, trying to call people out for cheating or whatnot because it happens everywhere. But I mean, that's all it really changes is, is how that process is done. Oh, for sure. And, and I, I know you did on Twitter uh, a couple months ago, I think it was the uh, bracket of NCAA investigations. And uh, I was I was going through that. I know the final four, it was uh, the North Carolina academic scandal, Louisville's vacated title. You had Reggie Bush on there. Uh, SMU, obviously, from back in the day. And um, yeah, I mean, do you have any when you were going through that list? Did you have any kind of your favorite, uh, whether it's the way that the scandal played out, the the NCAA's investigation of it. I mean, did you have any of these scandals that, that really stuck out to you as, as something that was at, at least entertaining? I mean, I think they're all pretty entertaining. I love the NCAA scandal. I love, you know, all the cheating that goes on in college sports. But, uh, I mean, the Final Four was about exactly what I thought it was going to be. One that got bounced early, earlier than I thought it would was the uh, Nevin Shapiro-Miami scandal. And, I'm, mm-hmm. and I like that one just because, not only like, you know, was, I mean, he was just blatantly, you know, throwing all these parties and paying players, you know, buying the cars and boats and whatnot, but also the dude was running a $950 million Ponzi scheme. That's like <laughs> where all his money came from, which I don't know, it just makes it even funnier to me. The dude got caught, he got caught by the NCAA and because of that, he got put in jail. So I'm really partial to that one. Plus, I mean, it's just it's kind of the culture of Miami too, where they just kind of do whatever they want. They blatantly, you know, have it all out there and they don't care. So I don't know. I, I was a fan of that one. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, no, I, I love it as well. And and you get some of these documentaries now, uh, you know, 30 for 30 details, a lot of this stuff. And I know HBO had one, I can't think of the name off the top of my head about the college basketball FBI uh, investigations. And I, I'm really interested to see, I'm, I'm sure you're probably the same boat where, you know, 20 years from now, like, what are we going to get out of all of this, you know, out of what's going on the last few years where, you know, you look at Alabama and, okay, well, Nick Saban, he gets all the recruits because they're Alabama or, you know, Clemson, a school that, let's be honest, they, they were okay, but, you know, they, they really just came out of uh, a, a upper tier ACC team to be in, you know, the only ones competing with Alabama for a few years. And, you know, 20 years from now, are, are we going to get some similar stories of, you know, Nick Saban sliding some briefcases into some hands and, you know, I'm I'm really curious to see what comes out of these these this era of college football because we know we know something's going on, right? I mean, yeah. As long as there's major college sports, there's going to be major cheating. I mean, it's just the way the rules are designed. You know, I mean, it's not like it's a pro sport where everything is on board. You know, you're paying them directly and whatnot. No matter what they do with the payment rules and the image and likeness stuff, there's always going to be cheating just because of the nature of the way you know boosters work and the way all this is designed. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure. We'll keep see. Well, stuff will come out, you know, in the coming years about stuff. I mean, I don't think anybody should really be 
concerned or care about it because we all know what's going on. So that's how I feel. I mean, I just just let it just let it happen. And if, if you get caught, that just means you're bad at cheating. <laughs> That's exactly my thoughts. I mean, you know, everybody knows what's going on behind closed doors and, you know, it's just a matter of staying away from getting caught. Um, but, you know, the kind of going back to it, we kind of mentioned there, there's really only a few teams that are really competing for that upper level. And uh, when we brought in Mel Tucker, you know, the Mark D'Antonio era kind of, it came to an end. And I think the fan base was definitely accepting and, and ready for the the next page turned. And, of course, Mel Tucker comes in. He's got a pretty tough situation because, you know, number one, he came in late in the progress, late in the um, offseason, I guess, for, for college football coaching hires. And, and he was given a lot of money to his assistants. You know, the, the MSU uh, board gave him a, a really increased budget to, to hire some assistants and coordinators. And one thing that has Michigan State fans excited is is his recruiting is a big part of of his coaching philosophy and you know he he was coming from a, a Georgia program for a few years under Kirby Smart where he was kind of their main recruiter he goes over to Colorado puts together a pretty good class in his one year there um you know what just generally what are some thoughts you have on the Mel Tucker signing you know is there anything that excites you is there anything about his past that you know, you have any questions about and, and what do you think over the next few years that we can expect uh, at Michigan State under Mel Tucker? Well, you said with the recruiting, I mean, he's a great recruiter and I think that will continue. He'll be able to recruit well in Big Ten country. I mean, it's, it's a different you know landscape that he's competing with, but I think he'll be just fine in that aspect. Obviously, he's a defensive guy, which I think is a great, he's a great cultural fit for Michigan State. You know, he brings, like I'll talk about that hard nose, slobber knocker mentality. You know, so this cultural, the cultural fit is there. I think you'll see Michigan State football looks, you know, similar enough to what it has been as far as being hard-nosed and always, you know, tough to play against. One thing I want to say about Mel Tucker, though, is I don't know if you remember the game last year they played at Arizona State and he wore the shorts on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to see him do that in East Lansing at least once, preferably for a November game. But if he does it, I mean, if he does it in September, I'll take it too. But I'm going to need to see him bring the shorts with him, and I hope they make more than one appearance. Yeah, he's a guy that uh, he's preached from day one that programs are built in the weight room, and and he definitely lives that. You can see the calves. You can see, I mean, the the dude's built like an animal. And, um, you know, he's got a lot of stuff, too, where we go on social media, and he's posting, like, sneaker Saturdays of, of his new Jordans that he's got some special edition Michigan State Jordans and stuff like that. So. Uh, I'm really excited, actually, to see what kind what he pulls out on the sidelines on a week to week basis. I think he's got a a pretty clean wardrobe there. Uh, yeah, for sure, definitely, definitely something to look forward to. Yeah, now, now, kind of going into the Big Ten here in, in general, right? It, it's something that Ohio State's won the conference the last three years in a row. They're heavy favorites to win it again this year. I mean, is there any hope for the rest of the conference? Are we just all playing for second place here for the next couple of years? Or, you know, do you think that there is a team who's got a shot to to catch the, the Ohio State Buckeyes and Ryan Day? I mean, I would say for this coming year, especially, I think it's Ohio State and everybody else. I mean, you, there's so much, there's just, especially in the Big Ten East, there's just so much, a little bit of roster turnover, you know, but a lot of teams, you know, factoring in new pieces like, you know, Michigan, Penn State, even, you know, Michigan State, factoring in a lot of new pieces in the Big Ten East. I mean, you know, Ohio State is too, but I think I think they're, are, they're positioned to be the prohibitive favorite in the conference. 
I mean, I think the West is a little more up for grabs, but I mean, I think it's between Wisconsin and Minnesota for the West title. But I really don't see that one of those teams, maybe, maybe Wisconsin, maybe being able to you know take down Ohio State. What I'm intrigued about the Big Ten this year, though, is some of the coaching storylines, like especially with Jim Harbaugh and Scott Frost, because mm-hmm. they're getting to the you know they, they haven't been able to you know live up to the the high expectations that have been set for them yet. But we're getting to the point where you know Scott Frost entering his third year, his guys are about to start playing. You know, the guys he's been recruiting. So at what point do we see these fan bases maybe start to turn on their, you know, their chosen men, their chosen sons, you know, who brought them the glory back in the glory days of programs that aren't you know, living in the glory days now. So I think for me, that's the thing I'm most interested in in the big 10 this year, seeing, you know, what happened with those two guys, because I, th- I mean, I think that their season, I don't have any expectation for them to really, you know, change what's been going on so far. And I think, you know, without major change, they could be in a little bit of hot water. Yeah, and, and Jim Harbaugh is one that we have a lot of fun with as Michigan State yeah, fans. Sure. You know, he's he's having sleepovers with his recruits and, you know, shirtless, his pale white skin throwing footballs around. And, you know, it's kind of a joke around East Lansing about, you know, hey, man, give this guy a lifetime contract because if, if that's what we have to compete against year in, year out, we're good with it, right? And and that's something where I, I do think he runs a pretty good program, right? They they win nine ten games every year that he's been there, pretty much. And uh, but you just kind of get the feeling that they're never really going to break through. I, I know I talked to some buddies and uh, who are Michigan fans or Michigan alums, and you know the the way that he recruits, it's a lot of like East Coast kids with with really little knowledge of the Big Ten and. You know, it, one thing that Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State had a lot of success with in the rivalry games was he was recruiting primarily from Michigan and Ohio and kids that really understood, um, you know, the the battles between Michigan and Michigan State and, and Ohio State. And, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh's out here recruiting a bunch of East Coast kids that really don't understand that, that, you know, don't have that necessarily hard-nosed mentality and you know, with Scott Frost, like you said, I mean, when is it time that Nebraska is going to look to turn the page there? Because Nebraska is a team that, you know, every single year we see them in the preseason top 25 and every single year they win four or five games by the end of the year. And we're all like, you know, okay, maybe next year. Right. (laughs) And and so there are a couple of those big 10 programs that just every year it's their year and the September Heisman and all that kind of stuff. And um, a couple programs that, yeah, like you said, it's going to be interesting to see um, this year. Are, are there any other kind of dark horse teams that maybe not to win the conference, but, you know, to do a little bit better than, uh, you know, people are expecting? You know, is there like a Maryland, a Rutgers, a Northwestern kind of thing where, you know, you see them kind of coming out and winning seven, eight, nine games? Yeah, I like, I like Indiana to fit, to fit that role as a surprise team. Because I mean, you know, they returned. They they won like what eight eight games last year. They returned mm-hmm. a bunch of players from that team. You know, they got a good quarterback situation, even though they have a little bit of a battle, but it's still a good good situation there. I think they're the team to look for to be. I mean, obviously, nobody ever goes into a football season expecting Indiana to do anything, no matter you know, no matter what they've done previously. So I think they're they're the team you're talking about a, a off the radar surprise team that could win. You know, maybe eight or nine games. They're my pick. Yeah, and they, they got a lot of returning starters, I know, and that that's a team where I was kind of looking at the schedule. I mean, they might sneak up on somebody. You know, the Ohio State basically every year they, they lose one game that they have no business losing, right? Um, Michigan, they lose a couple games that they have no business losing. And, 
you know, Indiana could sneak up on somebody this year. I definitely, definitely agree with you there. And plus, Indiana's always seems to always be the team, you know, that takes they, they're playing in Ohio State or a Michigan, and, and you're looking at the third quarter and you go, oh no, Indiana's up by <laughs> seven, they're up by ten, and then you, know, you check back in, you know, three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they're down by twenty one or something yeah. like that. So yeah, maybe this is maybe this is the year where they hang on and get over the hump of some of those games, but they always they always put a scare into somebody for about three quarters, and then just totally fall apart. So maybe maybe this is the year. Yeah, you get to that like 2.30-ish window where you're start trying to find a good noon game and you're, oh shit, Indiana's up by seven. You know, like you said, late in the third, we'll flip over and then they'll give up 24 unanswered. Yeah. And <laughs> Happen, Happens every year. So maybe this is their year. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, you're mentioning D'Antonio a minute ago. I, I want to know what, what were your, some of your favorite memories from the D'Antonio, like the golden era, the D'Antonio era you were talking about earlier? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it goes so many, and and we're actually recording a podcast up here soon with a with a couple of those games. And you know, you go back. We had a couple Big Ten championship games against Iowa and and uh, Ohio State. Couple wins there. Go to the Rose Bowl against Stanford. Um, I just rewatched like right before we started uh, recording here the Cotton Bowl with Michigan State and Baylor, which was just one of the most ridiculous football games you'll ever see. They were down 41 21 in the middle of the fourth quarter and somehow get a win there um i mean you have man there there was so many games that we went on a run against michigan it's always nice to beat your rivals right and and there was just so many games that come to mind and and when when d'antonio did decide to step down it was it was bittersweet for a lot of folks because you know it, he had brought us so much success that we haven't had since I mean, you go back to basically like the Nick Saban era, but that was really only a couple years in the late 90s. You go back really to the 80s to to really see that level of success uh, in a year-in, year-out basis. And, uh, man, it was just uh, – it was such a great run under D'Antonio. I mean, you know, from a national kind of side of it, you know, what what were some of the games that really stood out when you go back and you think – you know, Michigan State, Mark D'Antonio era. What were some of the some of the games that stuck out on a national level? I mean, you hit a lot of them. Like I've run through a couple. I mean, the Hail Mary versus Wisconsin was yep. one. That was a little earlier than the Golden Era. Yeah, you know, that's yep. one. I mean, the Le'Veon Bell hurdle. That was another moment I remember. You know, talking about the talking about the the Cotton Bowl, the Rose Bowls. You know, the college football playoff appearance. You know, the the Michigan, the woe. He has trouble with the snap game <laughs> against Michigan. You know, the beating Michigan in the rain. The you know, that drive against Iowa, but Two moments in particular really stick out to me, and you mentioned the Cotton Bowl. I'm going to go back to Cotton Bowl. Is that Baylor kicker getting absolutely oh, destroyed? Is I, I remember this vividly. I was with it was New Year's Day. I'm with a bunch of family, you know, sitting in the living room, and me and my cousins were watching this game. We all just had like the exact same "Oh my God" <laughs> reaction. We watched it, and then seeing hours later, him tweeting like, "Yeah, I'm alive, people. You know, like, don't forget, like I'm." I survived that hit. It was that, that perfectly in the top of the screen, right oh, yeah, behind was, the play where your your eyes are following and you're just it immediately it was in the perfect position on the screen. And you could see it coming a mile away too. You're just watching, you're like, oh no, like here <laughs> it comes. But yeah, that's that's one moment that sticks to me. The other one is, I mean, I like I understand how this happened, but it still just does not make sense to me. Was a uh, rich homie Quan becoming friends with Mark Antonio. <laughs> We go into that room. Well, like I know, like it was all you know, Darkwood Denard was playing you know type of way in the locker room after games. But like 
that's just a relationship that like never in a million years could I have ever seen coming. It's like what like I mean of all like college football coaches, D'Antonio's got to be towards the bottom, if not the bottom of the list of guys to become friends with an Atlanta rapper. So I mean that was hilarious to me. I'm showing up at the Rose Bowl, being in the locker room and whatnot. So. I mean, yeah, when I think about the D'Antonio era, I mean, those are two of the moments that come to my mind first. Yeah, that, uh, like you said, you, you couldn't put together two more opposite people in a room. Yeah. And, and he, because it, it kind of, like you said, it started off with, you know, some of the guys playing it in the locker room. And then it kind of became like, all right, you know, post-game win. This was, this was the song. D'Antonio started dancing in the middle of the locker room for a couple of the big wins. And then, uh, yeah, they, they ended up hooking it up to, before the Rose Bowl. They reached out. They they flew him out to the Rose Bowl to be there. And, uh, yeah, like, I, I love the image of, of picturing, like, Mark Dant. I know it probably wasn't Mark D'Antonio yeah, that like, called yeah, him up, right? Up, but, yeah. hey, is this, uh, is this rich homie? Uh, this is <laughs> Mark D'Antonio, the Michigan State Spartans. How are you? You know, it, I – I know it wasn't him making that call, but I love to picture it that way. Yeah, I just wish I just wish it could have been a fly on the wall when they first met in person. And being like, I don't know why the kids like you so much, but they do. So, like, you know, like, I don't know who the hell you are, but they told me you got to be here. So. Yeah, man, he that that was one that I actually totally forgot about that. You know, the story around that, and and man, that was that was a that season was a lot of fun and. Even that 2013 season, it's funny to look back at um, with Connor Cook as a starting quarterback, and he wasn't even the starter going into the year. That season was was a wild year. We had Andrew Maxwell starting the first couple of games, who really sucked. Right. I don't know how he he hung on to that starting job as long as he did. But Connor Cook comes in there, uh, we go beat Ohio State in the Big Ten championship, go to a Rose Bowl, and. Oh man, that that season was yeah, like you know, kind of broke through that wall of you know we under Kirk Cousins the few, first few years before Connor Cook there was uh, we we did go to a Big Ten championship game we went to a couple you know there was a Capital One Bowl against Alabama that I was in the stands yeah. for that we lost like a hundred and fifty to nothing. I can't I still can't believe Kirk Cousins actually survived that. Game. Oh my God, he he took an absolute beating. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I distinctly remember sitting there and watching. It was like every time he dropped back to pass, he was getting sacked, but but by two or three guys. It wasn't just one guy coming around the edge. It was just getting swallowed. Well, I, just remember, I just remember by the second half, every time he, he dropped back, he'd like cringe. He'd be like, oh, just please stop doing this. Do not do it again. Don't, just don't, don't. That, that's a career-ruining type of game, right? That, that's uh, one where as, if you're a quarterback, you know, we remember the, uh, was it Monday Night Football, I think, the Sam Darn. Arnold, like I'm seeing ghosts out there, right? That's yeah, that's yeah. the kind of game that can just ruin your career. I, I'm I'm happy Kirk Cousins has gotten out of that and made himself uh, a nice chunk of change in the NFL after that performance. Because man, it was rough. Yeah, that was yeah, that was that was tough. It was tough to watch just just from a just from a human perspective. It's like <laughs> just please just let. I, I, I've seen like I've, I mean I've only seen maybe a handful of games where I've seen a quarterback take a worse beating than that. Like that was just, it was hard to watch. Yeah. No, I, I, like I said, I was in the stands for that one and and there was a couple Alabama fans surrounding us and you know, they're, they're, they're the nicest people. I, I've been to two Michigan state and Alabama games and both of them obviously didn't end well uh, for us, right. but the, those Alabama fans, man, the, I don't know, maybe they're different when it comes to sec play. Cause they know they're more competitive, but 
you know, in the two games we played, I, I couldn't find a nicer fan base in the world outside of Boise State when they come to town because, you know, it's Boise State. They're just happy to be there. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. man, those Alabama fans are just really nice people. They, they, they were never rubbing it in. They were basically like, oh, I'm sorry, man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sorry we have to do this to you <laughs> they knew it was coming <laughs> yeah just great great people down there but um now one one thing i wanted to make sure we get in here uh you did uh on your blog there again the the u.s of ncaa uh you ran through an alcohol series and i don't know how many schools you went through but it seemed like damn near all of them um and, and went through and, and picked an alcohol for for each school and, and a couple of them I got I got to give you a lot of credit were spot on Ohio State with the Jaeger bomb I, yeah, I couldn't have put cool. together a, a better combination there um, Penn State with the Sam Adams Oktoberfest which shout out to a great beer but yeah I think you mentioned there they're only relevant in October which was <laughs> yeah. awesome U- University of Michigan with the rum and coke. And then Michigan State won with the the Rusty Nail. Um, I love the name. I can't say I've ever had one in my life. Um, now, with, with Mel Tucker coming into town, I, I put you on the spot here. Do you think that that would still be uh, an acceptable one? Would you change that up a little bit? What would be the alcohol of choice compared to the, the Michigan State program? I think I, I think I would still keep it with the rusty nails like we talked about. You know, it's a, it's a real – that's a real man's drink. You know, it's a real tough, like, you know, grit – grit and grind kind of thing and Mel Tucker's going to keep bringing that and I don't I mean I don't really see much difference you know between I mean I see there's difference between Tucker and D'Antonio but as far as like the you know the manly you know we're going to work mm-hmm. hard win the weight room kind of perspective I think we still see that obviously you see that with Tom Izzo you know he's the same kind of oh, way yeah. with the basketball program so that's why I chose that because yeah I mean I, I always thought like man D'Antonio and Izzo seem like the same person like they, you know, they, seem very, <laughs> they always seem very similar to me I'm, I'm disappointed when uh, when D'Antonio left, I was disappointed we never got to see them do like an old man like wrestling match or a bare knuckle boxing <laughs> or something like that. But I would love to see them duke it out like on like the 50 yard line of Spartan Stadium, you know, like in like a hailstorm or something, you know, like shirtless bare knuckle boxing. You know, like that would have been perfect. You know, they, both, they both got that old man strength kind of thing to them, you know. That, that's basically why I chose the drink was because like you look at you know both the football and basketball programs, you see kind of that like you know tough hard nosed mentality, and that's. In, in, in the and I know like you could talk about that better than me, but like I know the fans embrace that, you know the oh, yeah. you know, the, the the school embraces that culture. So that's why I went with the rusty nails. It's kind of a drink, like when I think of like the hard nosed, tough mentality. That's a drink that I think of that kind of associates with that. So. Yeah, yeah, and I I would have loved to see that too, man. I, I I do think as much as I love Mark, and you know he's he's the football coach. He's a little bit bigger. I think I would have taken Izzo, man. That's a scrappy little guy out there, and. Um, he's, you know, he's famous for a lot of his basketball practices. They're putting on football pads and they're hitting each other. And, you know, he's, he's a tough son of a bitch, but, uh, man, I, I, I really love that. I mean, did you, you know, just going through off of your memory, I know it was, uh, a ways back, but, you know, were there any other pairings of any other schools, uh, around the country that you think were a perfect fit between, uh, alcohol and, and the team? One that I liked was a uh, for Texas A and M. I had White Claw for Texas A and M because <laughs> well, just like they're, I mean, they uh, I mean, White Claw, you know, super popular. A and M's popular, you know, they're kind of create like kind of basic white girl drinks. A and M, bunch of basic white people, you know. <laughs> but uh, one thing I said was um, like a girl who's drank about two White Claws. A and M does a lot of whooping and hollering around midnight. 
So like, that's why that was the fit for me, you know, they're, they're, with their midnight yell, they just, they do a lot of that. Um, I mean, that was, that was one of my favorites personally. <laughs> that's a great um, one. I love so it. I gotta, yeah. I said, I got to try to think through it. I don't even remember all the ones I had a list. I can try to pull it up, but yeah, it's, that was, that was maybe my favorite one was A&M. Like all the ones you said, Penn State Oktoberfest was pretty easy to, uh, to do. Cause I mean, you know, they're not anything in basketball. So, you know, they're just, and then football, by the time November comes around, they're already out of the race, you know, but they're in the, normally in the top 10 around October. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, they always easy. got, you know, between like Saquon Barkley or, you know, KJ Hamler, Trace McSorley, they always got a couple players and they're always going to be, you know, up near that top of the ranking the first couple months of the year. It's something we talk about with Michigan all the time is early in the year, the AP voters, they, they love those traditional kind of schools. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. So you get Penn State up in the rankings early in the year. And then by November, uh, that's by the time they've played Ohio State, they've played, you know, maybe Iowa or Michigan, get a couple losses and, you know, they're, they're on to an Outback Bowl or something like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're always in the conversation. Like you said, they only, they only have a player who's relevant enough to be in you know, the highest, you know, whether he's in the Heisman conversation or not, he's still on everybody's radar. But then, yeah, they'll lose a couple of games, you know, mid-October, early November, then they're already out of it and everybody's kind of forgotten about them. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, I'm trying to find my list here. One of, let's see, one of my favorite, well, I mean, one of my favorites was um, Florida State. I did, they, uh, I did this solely based on the like college culture of Florida State. I, it was the Black Box Platinum Series box wine, Ooh. just because like <laughs> one, they they drink a lot of box wine, and two, that's totally something you can see them like slapping the bag in the stands at football games, <laughs> basketball games. So I mean, plus like like most things, like I mean, it's you know it it's good, like it's not great, but it's pretty, you know, like it's good enough, you know, it gets the job done. So. <laughs> That's, that was one of the ones I like. For them. Slapping the uh, bag is one thing that you, you do a lot of back in college, and then as soon as you graduate, you look back at it. Never and it's do like, it again. Man, is that really something we were doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one I chose. I like. I have a good one for Virginia too. It was um, it was another wine. Is it? It was this like super chateau something wine. I don't. I can't even know how to say it. But I only chose it because it was Thomas Jefferson's favorite wine, and at Virginia <laughs> they would drink a lot of yeah. You know, Virginia drinking wine at a game is something they do in Virginia, but they'd only drink Thomas Jefferson approved wine because they don't do anything that's not Thomas Jefferson approved over there. So that was another one of my favorites. And I could see like even you know, and the students are are pre gaming and, and at Michigan State oh, yeah. we got a we yeah. got a keg of Coors Light or something. They got, you know, some aged fifty dollar bottle of wine and Oh yeah, exactly. So, yeah, those, those are a couple of my favorites from that. Yeah, those no, are, I, I loved going those, through those. that, and and everybody out there can can find it. Like I said, you know, U.S. of NCAA, go back and check that out. There was a list of, like I said, damn near every school. I don't know how many yeah, I you went, went through. I, I went through every a ton of fun schools. So. What was that? Yeah, it, was, it was a fun project for sure. Yeah, man, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun reading it. So um now the last thing here is is just um you know are there i don't know if you know how how in depth you know with going through the roster i mean are are there any kind of players that are on the national radar for you i mean antoine simmons was just nominated as like a uh what do they call this the watch list for the lot award and and there's a couple guys here but i mean are there, are there any other players that that you're really excited about watching i mean we got some couple guys coming back obviously most of our guys we lost to to graduation or the nfl a lot of our starters so we got a pretty young team coming up here is there anybody you got your eye on 
I mean, Antoine Simmons was the one I was going to highlight as, as the guy I was most looking forward to watching. I mean, obviously, he, you know, team leader in tackles. He's just a tackling machine at the linebacker position. And I think he's a stabilizing force for that defense that should be – I would expect him to be, you know, pretty good this coming year. I mean, they got, you know, him coming back, Xavier Henderson at safety back too. You know, those are two guys I'm watching to lead the defense. With obviously, I mean, obviously the offense has a lot of question marks. I mean, you're going to be breaking in a new quarterback, whoever that ends up being, you know, I know. Rocky Lombardi is considered to be the favorite, but I mean it's not a not a done deal there. So I mean you got a lot of question marks on offense. I look for those two guys on defense to be the leaders of the team and to be able to be tone setters for another tough Michigan State hard nosed defense. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's gonna be an interesting year. A lot of turnover. Like you said, we we have no idea who's gonna be the quarterback. We got a couple guys in there. Um, but it, it should be an interesting year. Uh, last thing before I let you go here, I, I'm curious. Uh, I, I'm starting to get pretty optimistic about it, but you know, if we said from like a zero to ten level, obviously neither of us probably have a lot of insider info. But you know, what are what's your confidence level that we'll get um, a, that we'll get a full college football season in 2020? I think I think we will have college football in some capacity. If I, I would, I'm assuming we're going to have a full season. I think it's, I'm very confident. Like I'd say like a nine for a full season. The biggest question to me is what they're going to do about the fan situation. I think there will be, there will be fans in the stadium. And I think it'll, be, it'll vary greatly by schools and conferences. But that's the biggest question mark for me is how many fans are at games? You know, what percentage of stadiums are full? Because I think, you know, obviously a lot of schools have moved up their, you know, beginning of classes a few weeks, you know, trying to be done by Thanksgiving. I think that that's good for the start of college football. I think that means we'll be starting on time. I'm just curious to see, you know, what, you know, if, if we're going to require social distancing at games, you know, will, will we have, you know, maybe 25% capacity, 50% capacity, you know, 75%, you know, somewhere in between. I don't know. You know, I, I would not be counting on full capacity, but I think there will be some fans led into games. I'm just curious to see how different schools manage that as far as who gets to come, how they allot tickets, and how many people are at games. Yeah, and Michigan State came out recently, and they mentioned that the the current plan is something like twenty five to thirty three percent full, and and they do plan on having fans in the stadium. And the the priority one thing I, I liked about it is the priority was the students. They said, uh, you know, the the priority for tickets will be the students, and you know, it's a student driven uh, game, obviously, which is. It is good to see, but you know it, it is going to be really strange, man. I, I I'm excited. I I oh, do think, so like weird. you said, that we will have college football and we will have a, a full season. But college football, more than any other sport in the country, without fans is is going to be just. I, I I almost can't picture it. It's going to be so strange. I, I don't know. Maybe you've watched some of this like Bundesliga or something. You see it without fans, like man, that's weird. I don't know, but college football more than anything, it's going to be uh, really hard to kind of wrap your head around that. Uh, I agree completely. Like I, I've been watching, you know, some of those Bundesliga games and whatnot. It's been weird enough as it is. You know, obviously, a big I'm a big college football guy. You know, growing up, growing up, going to all kinds of games. You know, my parents have had season tickets at my school my entire life. You know, so I've spent a lot of time. You know, road trips, going to all kinds of games and whatnot. And I agree, it's going to be super weird if we're not getting full capacity you know because i mean yeah because everybody everybody associates college football with fans you have student sections you have fans you know that's what makes it great is as the atmospheres and you know having that reduced is just going to be strange i mean i don't, I don't know like you know trying to people have been trying to you know, ask me or trying to think like you know does this favor somebody is this you know but i don't even <laughs> i don't even know how to begin to answer that because it's just so unprecedented you know we haven't 
seen it, you know, like this before. So I don't even know how to begin to say as far as is this good or bad for certain teams, certain situations. I just know it's going to be strange for everybody involved. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is it's it's impossible, right? And I've I've had that question as well where, you know, oh, does this favor one school or is this bad for another school? It's like, you know, man, everybody's home home crowd is different. And, you know, when you look at like Penn State without that whiteout at night with 100,000 people in the stands, it, it's just going to be weird. And it's definitely going to take a few weeks to to really get used to seeing that on your screen or, you know, if you are – you know, fortunate enough and, and feel safe enough to go to a game. It'll probably feel like, you know, I, I've been to a couple spring games, right. Where it's, it's that same, maybe 25% yeah. full and it'll probably feel a bit like that, except you have a, a conference opponent in, you know, picturing Michigan, Michigan state with a spring game crowd is, is just, I, I can't picture it. I, I have no idea what that's going to look like. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, it's gonna it's gonna be you know it's unfortunate if we can't you know have full crowds obviously you know, I want the safety of everybody involved that's number one priority but it's just gonna it's just gonna be weird. I mean it's just it should be so different I mean because you know we just never seen anything like this in college football you're used to seeing every game is full you know no matter who's playing no matter where the game is and you know so it's just gonna be it's just strange I mean you know campuses on Saturday are gonna look so much different without you know, 70, 80,000 people come into campus for a game. So, I mean, I just hope that, you know, because you, you got a lot of these local, you know, local businesses, local restaurants mm-hmm. and whatnot who you know, need full stadiums on Saturdays to stay, you know, afloat. So I just hope, you know, for all these college campuses and these local restaurants and bars and whatnot that we all, that, you know, everybody loves that they're all the water. You know, I just hope that they're able to stay afloat. And I hope that, you know, athletic departments don't go under, you know, non-revenue programs. I hope that, you know, they, you know, we don't have to cut too many of those in many places. You know, I hope everybody's financial situation is largely unaffected by this. But, yeah, it's just going to be strange all the way around. I mean, it's going to have a massive domino effect, and I hope that we can minimize that as much as possible while still staying safe. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, everybody's got their local bars, their local places that, you know, they're just begging and pleading stay open because, you know, that's such a big part of the campus. Anywhere you go is is the bars on campus, the local spots, the, you know, local pizza places, everything. And, you know, without some of those places, the, the campus environment, everything's a bit different, right? So, um, yeah, just just hoping that everybody can stay afloat, that we can get through all this and, that we do get college football, you know, it, it is something that kind of brings everybody together and, you know, really excited for that. But, hey, man, I, re- I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate all the insight. Um, you know, before before we let you go here, I want to give you the chance. Uh, obviously, like I said, everybody, make sure you go and follow at the U.S. of NCAA. You got a ton of awesome content on there. I mentioned, you know, earlier we did a um, – uh, scandals or investigations bracket. We have the alcohols for each school, a lot of awesome content, hilarious account. Make sure you go and follow that. Do you got anything else you want to plug for the people uh, before you get out of here? Yeah, I said, just, just say, just hit the Twitter you know, at the USCNCAA, like Kevin's been saying. I mean, yeah, I try to you know, tweet and blog as much as I can. Uh, you know, I promise I won't, you know, rib on your, your team too hard, but you know, I can't promise that. But I mean, if you're, if you're deserving, you'll get some ribbing, but I mean, it's all in good fun. I just try to, you know, be funny and make good content. So I just appreciate everyone's support and just hit a, hit a follow. I would love that a lot. So thank y'all very much. hundred percent. Well, I appreciate the time. Like I said, everybody come on back for the next episode, but before you do, 
make sure you follow at the US of NCAA uh, for some great stuff on Twitter. Thank you so much for the time, man. Thanks, Kevin.